No, so I think she could took. I said she could um, sail a catamaran. Is it or, or what? Yeah. It was something two people can go on anyway, and. Um, Oh, the bullshit out of her straight away. <laughs> Didn't have a rash as we ended up on standing and Carl getting the f- feet torn off me, and I was there. This is this is not working. Just the hard yards brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. It's gone to the short side. Oh, it's gone to the short side. It's gone to the trailer. And Trent Murray. I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this team, not you. Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ringrose comes through. Oh. That is brilliant from Ringrose. Ringrose is going here. What a score. This is the Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. We've a really good show today. I have Ronan O'Gara and Pat McHarry in studio. Stephen Ferris on the phone. And we've two great interviews coming up with Rob Penny and Rob Carney later on. First, straight into it. Ferris, welcome back. Congrats on getting married. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah. All went smoothly? It did. I think we got the only dry day in August. It was uh, a fantastic <laughs> day. I know Rods didn't make the cut. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't afford his private jet over from France. So uh, sorry about that, Rods. That's but right. yeah, no, we had a fantastic day. Great crack. Great group of friends. We came down. Um, we got married down in, um, down in County Cabin in a place called Virginia. So we had a good day's crack, lots of lots of beverages on hand, um, and we've really enjoyed the honeymoon. And back to this glorious Irish weather, which is absolutely awful. <laughs> Where was the honeymoon? We went to Greek islands for ten days, then Maldives for ten days. So yeah, three weeks. Um, good fun. Life lots is fun. tough. Eh? <laughs> yeah, it is a tough life. What uh, what, what islands did you go to? We went to Santorini and Mykonos. So we were there five days in each and travelled around. Uh, Laura and I loved to, to get about and not to stay in one place for a couple of weeks. Um, and that's exactly what we done. Hired a few quads and burned about the islands and um, seen a good bit of the culture and history. And then we went to Athens for a couple of days as well. So uh, just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant time. Uh, I, th- I thought you were going to say, Fez, you love to take your top off. I thought you were going to say you love to take your top off. Which you do too. <laughs> Any bit of sunshine. Uh, Sun's out, guns yeah, well, out. You know, if there's ever an opportunity, <laughs> Rod, <laughs> it comes off. <laughs> Plenty of wife beater t shirts off for the holidays. <laughs> Fez, you're you, you were nearly killed by a shark, or you met a shark at one stage as well, didn't you? Oh, Jesus, don't talk to me, like, honestly. Um, like I, Where was I'm this? not the best in deep I'm not the best in deep water but I was swimming in uh, the Maldives and decided just to go on my own and we were staying in one of those like kind of water hot villa jobs and um, jumped into the sea went for a swim and was kind of over the edge kind of on the on the drop off into the deep sea and like, we, Laura and I come across a couple of sharks in the previous few days but they're only maybe two or three feet long um, and I was just sitting swimming along and the next thing I see this thing coming up from the depths um, and I was like, geez, that looks like a bit of a shark coming up there. So I kind of swam slightly into the shallower water. 
the next thing it just kept coming up and coming up and this honestly this thing was about eight foot and I absolutely <laughs> shit myself and I, <laughs> and I could not swim fast enough back to the water well even though like as soon as I got back into the shallows it was maybe three or four foot deep but I still thought Jaws was coming to get me um, and I think I said on Twitter there was a bonus brown trout moment which uh, seemed to get a lot of retweets and favourites so was, uh, I absolutely crapped myself up yeah um, everybody was saying that I might have been able to take it on but I think uh, I think that hard man image is long gone Do you have any big moments uh, with wild fierce animals in your honeymoon ride did you? No no uh, no I was in Barbados actually in Sandy Lane which is just another freebie rod well no done. would you believe it I'm I'm ratty over that Fez all the lads even the the uh, the bibs and the tokens and the squad got the freebie to Sandy Lane and we were breaking our balls for ten years and uh, there was nothing for us in that right um, yeah nothing for us no no I, my my memory of it actually is um, Jess said she can sail and she, you'd know a lot about this actually being a post sailor Andy I don't that's Andy that's Andy's looking Andy. point of information <laughs> never sailed in my you're, life you're going you're gonna to be captain of the Royal um, Holt Yacht Club <laughs> in years to come um, no so I think she took, said she could um, sail a catamaran is it or, or what yeah. it was something two people can go on anyway and um Oh, the bullshit out of her straight away <laughs> didn't have a rash as we ended up on standing in Carl getting the f- feet torn off me and I was there this is this is not working just right, back to the pool back to bay stick the flag in the sand and order a bit of room service to your <laughs> piece in the sand that place is uh, beyond luxurious done player welfare started at home yeah <laughs> um, yeah player welfare is in the news Pat um David Nusifora was talking about it this week. The player welfare system in Ireland, it's a weapon. That's what he called it. Good uh, thing. Yeah. In, in his words, anyway. In his words, yeah. Um, so, bit of context, I think. Uh, so, Billy Funapola was talking in, in England. He said he was on the surgery table twice in one year. And he said that that's supposed to be normal. And he said that he was not happy with that being seen as normal. Guys, you've been through the player welfare system in Ireland. Is is it a good thing when you're a player or do you, do you just want to be playing every week? Fez, I'm going to turn this one over to you. Um, yeah, it's a, I suppose it's a touchy subject. Um, I had my fair share of injuries, 10 operations in my career. So um, I played for nine professional seasons, so over one a season. Um, and that just seems to be the way the game is these days. But when you're playing well, you want to keep playing. Um, but I think certain people... Are different and everybody's different and need to be treated differently. You look at Ulster at the minute, Chris Henry I think is the only guy that's um, been playing regularly because he's the type of fellow that just needs to keep playing week in, week out. He's not fast and explosive and really, really powerful and um, he's a bit of a grinder so those guys need to be playing where other guys like Billy Vinopolo are really explosive and powerful and if you go down the, the kind of injury list over the years, Shawnee O'Brien, myself, um, Draco, explosive guys they do seem to get injured uh, more regularly so I think it's just about managing individuals uh, and, not, and just because you're an international player it doesn't mean that you get rested one week um, I, I think that, that needs to be managed more uh, because players do get frustrated um, especially you know, I know a couple of 
against game at home there it was a perfect opportunity for guys to go out and go you know I can really put a marker down here the likes of Andrew Trimble gets rested and Jacob Stockdale comes in and scores two tries and seems to be um, ahead of him slightly when it's when it's going to come to selecting the best team so um, it can be difficult but I definitely think I don't know if Roger agrees that everybody's different and everybody needs to be managed differently No I do I, I think um, now that I'm out of it I think um from a player's point of view all you ask for is is there a plan and is there a short term plan medium term plan and long term plan and have they really really thought this out and I think um, having spent time um, obviously in France and talking to all the different nationalities around the world over there I think the Irish system is incredibly strong the one criticism I would have it is I think as, as Fez says when you're looking to find rhythm or form Sometimes you're deprived that game because um, confidence is huge in players and it takes maybe two or three games to get that and then all of a sudden you're not playing game four and you feel sometimes you have to start again. But my the only thing I would say about it is sometimes you feel that you're underplayed in Ireland. But um, I think... It's actually the envy of all of all the other countries around the world, the Irish model. People from all different nationalities talk about how well looked after they are. And I think, um, you know, I mean, as we know, there are a few have been on this for years and years. So it's it's tested. And I think that's all you ask as a player is that, as Fez says, have they thought about my individual case or have they thought about what's best for the team? And certain stages, most definitely they thought about what's best for the team that has to happen because if three back rows go down <laughs> this guy has to play a week or game four again but I think um, they're I, I just feel 30 games is, is absolutely perfectly manageable anything after that I think then you can have question marks about it, but don't be given out if you're playing 30 games I think you need to be playing 30 games to be to be having a cracking season you should be lucky and appreciative that you're playing 30 games which means that you're not injured for that season hmm. Fez, did you ever get to play 30 games in a season? I did a couple of times when yeah. I played for Dungannon. <laughs> 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 under, under, well, I was under 18 and moved from Portadown and then went over to Dungannon. Had a couple, two full seasons with Dungannon before making my uh, my first my first appearance for Ulster. But um, I had a couple of seasons where I got a good run of games, but uh, usually in the summertime. I was under the knife for something. Um, first cap for second cap for Ireland. Uh, Termini cartilage, you know, it just keeps putting you back. But it's how you keep bouncing back from from setbacks and from injuries. And for me, Billy Bonapolo and I should be talking about, um, you know, what he's going to try and achieve when he gets back. You know, instead of saying that there's too much rugby and he's being overplayed and all the rest of it, I think he should be saying, right, this is an opportunity for me now to get back in the gym make myself stronger bigger the big man's game everybody knows that and he's one of the biggest about so um, he should be looking forward and relishing the challenge that's going to come to him over the next two or three months um, sitting on the sidelines once again and make sure when he does come back he comes back better um, but for me no it was a real struggle uh, a real struggle but just to go back on your point I think one thing that has changed is is when especially when it comes to the provinces and the local derbies is that the guys aren't rested for those Christmas fixtures 
there's you know there's nothing better than playing in an interpro around that kind of Christmas uh, period like against uh, against Shawnee O'Brien or against Rodge or against you know the the lads the big competitors and hopefully there are a few um you know, stay away from that and, and, and make sure that it's not two B teams, Leinster A and, uh, and Ulster B, playing against each other around that period because all the fans, uh, you know, that's when they all come out to support the, uh, support the provinces and um, hopefully they can keep um, keep that. It's just so unique and I think they need to keep working on that and making sure that the best teams are out playing against each other around that period. But going back to um, going back to the point that that Funipola was making about surgery, right? So, multiple surgeries in the same season for a lad who's twenty five, twenty six is not seen as abnormal in rugby. Firstly, it, it, that seems to be correct. Like that that seems to be seen as normal. But is it right that it's seen as normal? No, and I don't think it should be normal either. I no. think. You know what I mean? If you're getting operated on twice a season, yeah, like opening up the body is not like there's trauma. I don't that think causes. it's sustainable. Yeah, you know, I think there's only a certain amount of those um, surgeries that that can not impact on your performance. And but nowadays, the advances in sport medicine seem to be crazy too. How how quickly people are getting back from ACLs and um, the adv- how clean the air and the range of motion and sur- shoulder surgery it's fascinating just kind of um, watching the athletes nowadays how, how how quickly they can come back from this but at the same time it's still a, a big operation and you have to pay heed to that but that, that back row position is just um, so attritional every mm. single thing they do they're the fastest they're probably the strongest the most powerful and they're in the most compromising position so they're always kind of so much more vulnerable than a lot more people to to these kind of injuries um, but to go back to your I suppose question it, it isn't it should not be seen as normal you know what I mean if you're a parent of uh, an 18 year old coming into the game and you've concerns about it you're hoping that your son isn't operated on twice a year even if it is um, obviously away from the head area hmm. I think we can we can all deal with um, ankle or knee or uh, breaks and um, lower body injuries and shoulder injuries, but I suppose still the biggest concern in the game is the is the, is the head. Yeah, Fez. I mean, just before you go, uh, is this something? That, do you think that that's normal? Personal experience, obviously, is something you didn't like going under the knife. But from what you're seeing around the game, are we in a world where it is seen as normal to to have to be under the knife a couple of times a season? Yeah, it's um, for me. It was normal, but. Um, one thing that I will say is that when you go under the knife, whether it be for an ankle or knee or finger or anything, it's never, ever the same. The injury that you sustain, you'll come back, it'll always be there, it'll always be niggling at you. Um, I'm obviously retired now, Rod's probably tell you the same. There's bits and pieces every day you wake up. Uh, my feet are killing me at the minute because I've got neuromas in my toes. What's that from? That's from ankle surgery. It's just, um, it, it's never the same. So you want to try and avoid going under the knife as much as possible. But it's, you go back to your point, Andy, it, it's, it seems to be just a regular occurrence now in the modern game. Um, and to, to, to back up what Rod is saying, I just don't know how sustainable it is. Will a player's uh, average years you know will, will it be like NFL in, in 10 years time where the lifespan of a, a rugby player is 3 to 5 years I, I really hope it's not because 
Um, we want to see the same players play week in week years. We want to see legends of the game turn in week in week out for Ireland and it reaches a hundred caps, etc., etc. So um, I'm not sure how sustainable it is, but from a personal point of view um, going on to the knife was never easy mentally and physically and having to keep bounce back and bounce back especially when there's young guys biting at your heels to try and take that jersey off you so um, it can be difficult but I wish Vinopolo all the best and hopefully he does come back better Okay, uh, Fez, we have to let you go. Um, they'd want to be. Sir. They'd want to be good at biting Fez if they're looking to take your spot. I know. I'd be certain selecting anyway. <laughs> Cheers, See big you man. Later. Take it easy. Cheers, Cheers Have a good one. Thank you. Bye bye. Right, that was Stephen Ferris. Um, so, according to Nusavora, um, who the welfare system the player welfare system is helping keep players in Ireland he treats it as a weapon right um, in trying to compete in the player market which is a worldwide market um, and a very European market Rog you would have been a mentor to a lot of guys presumably um, both as a senior player and now is it something you've talked to a player about when they're considering a move abroad yeah, the yeah. welfare angle I think you don't even need to uh, discuss it with them I think the players realise how good they have it in Ireland yeah I think that is um, most definitely a massive um, retaining point for players in Ireland and I think it's backed up by the actions of the IRFU as well I think I think um, they have an individual plan for there isn't that um, massive player pool in Ireland so it's obviously if you're you know what I mean you look at the numbers the figures it's quite easily m- managed but the detail they go into in managing the player is the fascinating side of it and the the programmes they make to improve players and if you're in the Irish camp the attention to detail you get is 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 quite um, astounding it's fantastic it was um, it is a huge thing and I think you can look at it from when um, Johnny moved to Racing the thought of playing for the reality of playing for racing on a Saturday and the following Saturday having to um, you know I mean play for Ireland while you know that um, for the weeks sorry you play on day 14 for some days 1 to 7 you know that the Irish boys are being extremely well managed from that for that week Monday to Thursday is hard training hard but probably one contact session then Friday Saturday Sunday off you bounce into camp on, on test week while if you're a player that's playing in in a foreign league, you have to play on a Saturday, or eat, and it's even worse if you're on the bench. People don't get that because a lot of coaches that I've seemed to talk to seem to feel that we can put them on the bench, but that that's no mental release for any player. Mm. The bench is actually worse because mm. you're you're nearly half hoping you don't get on, half warming up, half entering into the mental state that I could get injured here, yeah. and then you have to, you know what I mean, um, come on, play, uh, cool down, then you're scrambling to get a flight to get home to to Dublin. So these are things that I think anyone who's (coughs) um, obviously a a top-tier player in the Irish 23 would have to um, really, really consider. It's, 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 um, It's a huge decision. Yeah, it was it was remarkable to me that um, Vonapolo said very clearly that he would much prefer to take X percent less money to play that same percentage fewer games. You know, just saying, look, 
I'll put it out there, I want less money because I want to play fewer games. And that automatically happens in the Irish system. It's, it's how it's structured. Um, do you ever hear that? Is there is there a player welfare system in France? Like, in the same way? Yeah, there organized? is. There's um, players, Proval, it's called. It's yeah. this, you know, same as Arupa, I think. The uh, Union, yeah. But they're, they're in its infancy because obviously now this year it's the first time where the French Federation have control of of a certain amount of players and they're not allowed plays uh, round one of the top 14 but um, they only have to play another 26 <laughs> rounds <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> but no it's, it's much better this year there is uh, periods where the, the national team get their players when there are uh, top 14 weekends so mm. they'll have to so there is a priority being given to the national team and that you know I mean if France get their act right they could be deadly dangerous because uh, there's no doubt the quality of players there but um, are they flogged yes they are most definitely because um, you know I think that's the the massive difference it's all about it's a results business over there while here everything is geared towards the Irish team and that's mm. not taken away from the provinces of the fact that you can manage your squads far better when you're have you know I mean two Italian teams in the, in the pro 14 and you have um, you know weak weakish um, team like Newport you know Gwent mm. Dragons there you can you can put in anyone um, you know, what I mean, as a squad player for in the Irish provinces, and, and you, you'd expect to win that game or those games. Yeah. So the structure itself lends itself at times to being able to rotate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think you need to do that too. Mm. I think that's really important, and it's something that, as a player, I did not get because I was kind of like, um, and um, it wasn't done that much in Munster. Was you were nearly playing with a lot of the guys that. Um, because, but you but you said that you like that it suited your mentality as a player to just have that every week thing. Or, or are you saying that actually, once you get to game four or five in a row, you'd you'd want to break? Yeah, it? I think I, I I think that's where great management comes into it, Andy. I think there's some great skill in that, being able to just watch from a distance and kind of monitor with the GPS your your GPS man, who is crucial in any organisation. I think that's the way the game is going. I think. Uh, every team I was involved with the the head of fitness was on nearly the same level as the head coach and they were really tight then with the manager mm. and there was kind of this is the amount of minutes we're on the pitch today so you have a final play the play does not go well mm. That's it. the head of fitness get off the pitch while in an awful lot of other teams we'll do that again that creeps into um, other aspects of the game where uh, concentration Performance dropping balls becomes the norm, and yet we'd go six minutes over this this session. The following week, it didn't. Oh, it didn't get it right, so it'll be eight minutes. But then you just lose um, your whole, I would say, intensity philosophy about why why you train with intensity. Hmm. So, do you have players that you look at now week to week, and you know that okay, this guy I can give a week off because he's going to smash it the week after. This guy I actually yeah. I can't give him a week off because he needs to get. I into love rhythm. it. I love that actually. It's great because I knew we were playing. Who was going to play against uh, Ionax? Who was going to play against um, Breve? Who play against Claremont? Who play um, against um, Leon this weekend? And who will play against La Rochelle away? Hmm considering six days later um, 
we play a first game in Europe so you know what I mean you have a Sunday kick off at 10 to 5 and the following Saturday you're playing Europe but as you know the top 14 is such a monster over there that the Sunday kick off is prime TV yeah. so uh, we go to La Rochelle on a Sunday and the following Saturday we, we play Leicester at home but like the reality is that you have to manage your players there that group that goes to La Rochelle it's an away game what are they capable of doing Monday and Tuesday hmm. so that's interesting isn't it? like you're sometimes thinking four or five games ahead I have to like that guy might play at the end of the month almost kind of and you're shaping him already to get ready for that that's, game yeah that's the, that's the way I look at it like, so I kind of I wouldn't have that control in the in the forwards obviously but I'd be kind of kind of always looking at the combinations and who's why would you play this guy here and mm. who needs to play here and um, yeah so you basically have your blank piece of paper and you do your kind of do the maths yeah do it all out because it's it's amazing when you actually reflect on it you get good ideas and you have to take the opposition into account you know what I mean if you're mm. going to to breathe you're kind of thinking for your wingers there's going to be a lot of box kicks raining down you so yeah. who do you pick for that and then the options in racing are great because you've a fella like Fatakawa who has come from the sevens game who is a winger who's now playing 13 because his game is suited to playing 13 but he's only played two games can it be sustained I think he can because he's a fantastic rugby player so he's given us a whole new kind of I suppose addition feels like a new player there um, yeah so it's, it's, it's exciting now at, at the minute because we have uh, Pat Lambie arriving as well. Oh yeah, and yeah. he's back into the or he'll be into the mix from next week on. So that'll be another. Um, How are you going to use him? It's a good question. <laughs> um, I haven't seen him. I've seen videos of him. Obviously, mm. I've seen footage of him. Seems like a really good he, rugby he's player. He's been around for a long time as well. Like he's still only young. But yeah, he's been around for years. Twenty-five. Isn't yeah, it? it's crazy. Annoyingly young. Yeah. yeah, and he looks younger than that too. <laughs> 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 so um, no, he's going to be um, initially a ten fifteen. Yeah, but that means ten fifteen, twelve thirteen. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how this goes. Uh, right, Roger will be back later answering your Twitter questions. But up next, we hear from former Munster coach Rob Penny. Murder she wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. Watch the start, fall off for 40 minutes, come back, see the end, perfect. You know what I mean? You've missed nothing, really. Remember, Rod, Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room, one for you for Cheltenham. <laughs> like every red-blooded male in the country, he'd be watching the horse racing, whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder, She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer. Murder, she wrote, is the perfect thing to watch during the day. Welcome back to the Hard Yards. We're now joined by the coach of the NTT Shining Arcs. That's Rob Penny. Rob, hello, welcome. Thank you. Hello. Hello. How is Japan? It's a uniquely wonderful place. Um, uh, culturally, it's it's you know very very different to anything else you'd experience, but. Uh, you know, those, uh, um, I guess, challenges that you have because of the cultural differences also make it fascinating and 
um, inspiring and also, um, you know, just a really wonderful place to uh, to live. So fortunate to end up here. Yeah, you've been there. This is what, your, your fourth or fifth season there now? Yeah, this will be my fourth. Yeah. yeah. When you when you think back to to moving over there, what were, what were the first things you hit that hit you about actually, you know, you're getting off the plane. This is now your home because Japan is is a is a very very different kind of culture and society. Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned, it's it's very unique. First things you probably um, experience are the, um, you know, there's a, a very friendly demeanour amongst the people and uh, a very unassuming and you know, there's a lot of pride here, but there's also a lot of humbleness. Um, and, you know, it's a society that's been quite controlled uh, through centuries of um, sort of imperial rule and, and then, uh, more latterly, um, well, the emperor still exists, but there's a government and, and a culture here that's not subservient so much, but certainly very reserved and, and, and uh, very private. But also, um, you know, because of the nature of the businesses that are run here there's a you know there's a lot of bureaucracy so just just i guess getting some of the smaller things done like bank accounts and phones and um you know those everyday items uh you know can take a bit of time but once you cut through all that um and you're prepared just to work with it and not try to um you know not get too frustrated by some of the the time delays it's uh yeah it's a wonderful place it's safe and uh you know the climate's good and um you know, it has a lot of, a lot of um, really special components to it. So tell us about um, rugby there. The national side lit up the World Cup a few years back with that huge win over South Africa. Um, is it the same as club level? Are we seeing an increase in interest over there? Yeah, look, after that, you know, the outstanding performance against South Africa, and it was probably, you know, it was probably... Um, <laughs> Uh, a result that was unexpected but you know South Africa were going through a little bit of a tumultuous time and, and uh, it was one of those games where the South Africans would get their noses in front and probably thought they'd had it done enough to win and then all of a sudden Japan were pretty tenacious and come back and they would score a try and it was a, an amazing result for Japanese rugby and on the back of that but, uh, but it was it's also been building over the last few years my understanding is that you know the public support of rugby's um, you know, increasing all the time, and we're regularly getting uh, twenty thousand at, at games, and um, you know that's that's really positive heading into the World Cup. You know, they've got a lot of things to get uh, right yet before the two thousand nineteen World Cup is going to you know be staged here. But anyone that comes will have a have an amazing experience. You know, they might find some of the hotels aren't classic five stars you'd expect <laughs> through Europe or through the Americas or whatever, but um, if, if you're prepared just to um, you know, have a really open mind and experience Japan for what it is, then y- y- you'll have, a, a, as I say, a uniquely wonderful experience. See, Andy is nodding there. You're, you've been in Japan before, haven't you, Andy? Yeah, two words come to mind about Japanese hotel. The Toto Washlet. <laughs> it's, it's, you know what I'm talking about, Rob, don't you? Oh, yeah, great experience. <laughs> usually usually experienced in the privacy of your own uh, in your own moment but yeah wonderful they should we should, you know I've been contemplating uh, exporting them because uh, they're the, they're the B-Day and, and consummate toilet moment all tied up in one it is I was, there was one you could play rainforest sounds on it it was oh unbelievable you walk in and it's like the Starship yeah. Enterprise it's lovely 
yeah. Right. You try to get in a bit of harmony with those noises, and it's it's quite a fascinating few moments. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the you you guys hosted the Ireland Squad last summer um, in Japan. How how do you think um, how do you think they found it? Again, you know, when you when you're on tour with a rugby team, you don't get a lot of opportunity. So yeah, we were we were at that uh, Jonas uh, management group and team were able well, we were able to host them um, at our ground. Um, and um, I think the facilities met your needs, which was good. And um, you know, I was um, lucky enough to go and spend an evening with the, the management um, at a at a local New Zealand restaurant, actually on the top of a. Um, Hotel with which overlooks the Tokyo um, Tower. So it was, yeah, it was a, a lovely few occasions. Then I, I caught up with the, the Munster boys for a, a, um, a few hours one evening when they had a bit of time off. So all in all, I'm sure they had a, a, a really good experience. You know, at the end of a, a pretty tough campaign back home, they were all looking forward eagerly to a bit of a summer break. And, um, you know, they were satisfied with their Japanese performances and, uh, they all looked in good fiddle and, you know, we uh, yeah, had a, a good wee catch-up. Rob, I thought you were going to say a, a few beers there, but you went hours instead. Did, did you actually have a, have, have a couple of drinks with some of the Munster lads? <laughs> yeah, we did, um, but very quiet, low-key. It was really good because, um, you know, there was it was just a, a nice occasion. I haven't um, been in contact with a few of them, uh, a lot of them actually, but haven't spoken to them personally, uh, you know, over a over a beer for a long, you know, for a couple of three years since I've been away. So it was great to, um, yeah, it was great to have a little bit of social time and, um, you know, um, just catch up on all their news and what they've been up to. And you know, a few have had families and been married, and um, you know, a few have become, you know, professionals in the in the months to set up now since since I'd left uh, who, you know, a couple of academy members so yeah it was great just to just to socialise and catch up on them personally uh, you know they're great great young men and it's always nice to um, to see them all all doing well and achieving their goals of now being in the Irish setup. So it's the first time that a lot of Irish people would have heard your voice since you left um, Munster I mean can we go back a bit and just see like how did you actually end up there? Because you were coaching ITM Cup before that, you were involved in New Zealand under-20s. What was the journey from there to arriving at Munster for you? Um, well, it was, a, it was a... Yeah, it was a pretty rapid time. Uh, you know, it, it, it came across uh, via an agent that, that Munster were you know, looking for a, for a new coach. And, um, you know, my guess went up immediately given you know not only New Zealand's history but just Munster's history and the ability to have a look at something that would have been um, you know a great opportunity for me to coach in not only in Europe but you know with, with a team like that so I threw my name in the hat basically and uh, through due process um, got an opportunity to um, go a bit further got interviewed and uh, yeah the rest rest was history so I was uh, very humbled by initially the approach and then the and then the work that was done primarily by uh, Garrett Fitzgerald and, and one or two others behind the scene to um, facilitate a really wonderful outcome for me and my family and what were your what were your expectations going to that job uh, look personally my expectations is to win every week um so I wanted to, 
I wanted a, and I guess you know I've had some success previously with Canterbury and and been part of a Crusaders team that have won the Super Competition back in 2005. And, uh, you know, I, I knew Munster hadn't had success for a, for a short while, and, and you know they too were desperate to uh, get back on the podium. Um, I knew there was some some big challenges there. Uh, you know, there's a, a number of Kiwis had been through Munster either as players or resource coaches, and, and, and so during my research, uh, it was clear that that there needed to be. A lot of foundation work being to be done to to ensure that the I guess the past uh, great history of Munster could have been um, you know could have been achieved once again and and you know I went there fully focused and fully aware of the situation and the challenges and you know I put my heart and soul into it and uh, you know hopefully uh, that although it was only a short period of time um, it was a shame it wasn't longer. Uh, you know, hopefully people respected what I gave, and and, uh, and unfortunately it wasn't as long as I would have loved. But uh, circumstances dictated. Yeah. What were those circumstances? Um, well, look, you know, it was really it was a it was a challenging coaching environment for obvious reasons. Um, you know, um, Axel was someone that was iconic in the place, and he desperately wanted to be head coach. And he would have found my appointment and my, um, you know, turning up there as a as a foreign outside coach probably pretty um, pretty disappointing from his perspective. And look, I, I respect that, understand that, and um, uh, you know, there was a there was a, a large degree of um, the media and, and and you know, in terms of uh, fairness to. The, a lot of supporters would have would have really supported Axel's elevation. Um, I, I really hope that I could have managed my way through that, and and um, uh, and we could have we could have really, um, I guess, had the best of both worlds. Um, what I was hoping to bring and, and his expertise, you know, he, he was he was a fine coach in a lot of ways, and um, you know, there was some things that I that I hoped, you know, without being arrogant that I, that I might have been able to um, teach him and I'm sure you know and there were there was a, there were things that he taught me and it was um, but it, it was it was just challenging I mean anyone in the in the environment at the time uh, would know and, and it was certainly not helped because of the dual um, base you know the Limerick base and the Cork base and I was based in Cork and um, you know the other guys based in, in Limerick and the and the inability to connect every day and be consistent message-wise and, and um, you know, everyone being on the same page all the time is, um, was was really difficult. And, um, uh, you know, uh, yeah, so when it came to renewal after two years, um, the organisation had already decided that Simon Lennox wasn't going to be a part of it and I wanted Simon to stay. And... Um, so that that caused another level of, I guess, frustration. Um, and while those negotiation processes were undertaken, um, as as I, I made clear at the time, um, there was an approach from from NTT Com here in Japan. And uh, Munster at the time were only prepared to give me one year. And you know the the life of a coach is 
is challenging enough without having to, after you know renewing a contract, to be within six months of having to look again, am I going to have a job or am I not? And NTT Com came through with um, a three-year deal and the family just decided the security of that was just too hard to turn down. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's where it went. And, um, yeah, that's where, um, unfortunately, we parted ways. There was another part to what you're trying to do there, because you're talking about the coaching environment and the wider environment, but there was, you also mentioned the word foundation and that you were trying to bring something there. And Keith Earls was talking a couple of years after you left. Um, and it was a reference to what, to what Pat Lamb did in Connacht, um, talking about the, the game plan, the move to a 2 4 2 structure of the forwards across the park and he was saying that it was the same thing as as you brought to Munster and they didn't take as well to it as Connacht. Now he, I think he's referring to the playing side but maybe it's the fans, the media they just, the the expectation was different or whatever um, when, you, when you look back was this the right time the right squad to do that with at Munster or was it just the circumstances were never going to be right for what, we, what you were trying to do? Yeah, look, I don't know if there's ever a right time to, for change. People either embrace it and, and see the end point and the vision that you're trying to, trying to uh, create and actually trying to achieve or, you know, they rebel and, and uh, look at all the negative components to any change. Uh, I, I, I still believe that the squad was capable of doing what we're doing, particularly when we had our, our top squad available. We would have moved eight or nine players out of that squad in year one, and we would have moved a very similar amount out in year two because the, the, the quality of the, the people that we had in the, in the um, support squad, if you like, the Pro 12 squad when the internationals weren't available, uh, wasn't a standard to be playing top 14 and be competitive. And we inherited that group, um, so the, the core the core group very capable of playing the brand that we were after. The second tier probably not. Um, but first year we you know we got into um, Heineken Cup semi final um, and lost a close one to Claremont. And um, you know the, you look back on that. With uh, you know, if, if the bounce of the ball when it did set up a Felix just veered, and he might have dotted down right next to the bar, and that game could have been different. We could have seen ourselves in a final. Um, you know, there's moments in those in that in that first year's game that were clearly um, opportunities for us, and uh, it could have been it, it could have been different in the pro league when. Um, our young boys were given the opportunity, probably didn't play as well, and hence they weren't recontracted going forward. And we tried to, and we did. I'm, I'm very um, sure that the squad was, was a lot stronger the second year we had it, and it was going to be stronger again the third year we had it. Um, I was uh, very, very proactive in, in trying to recruit better Irish players from within Ireland, which which was challenging too because there was a lot of discourse about bringing outsiders into Munster. But it needed to be done because the talent just wasn't in Munster. Uh, the academy at the time, you know, wasn't functioning nearly as well as it needed to be and there was a lot of effort and energy and behind-the-scenes work by myself and, and a few others that 
picked up that academy into a position where it was starting to develop more talent, and I think we've seen a bit of a byproduct of that now, which is awesome. Um, so I, I, I actually don't think because you get caught up in the structure of the game two four two that that is a structure that allows um, forwards to be a little more expensive and utilise skill sets, but it also um, one of the well one of the biggest uh, areas of a two four two system that you need is is um, quality identifiers of space and then the ability to use your skills to get the ball into that space, whether you're running it, whether you're carrying it, or whether you're kicking the ball into that space. And that was a whole education system because the boys that we inherited had spent the last six or seven seasons, I guess it was that long, um, being told where to go, what to do, and what decisions to make, and when to make them on the field. And so it wasn't about the system that was being implemented. It was about... It was about educating players how to be decision makers on the park. And I've got to, you know, and I hold this very dearly that unless I know exactly where the defenders are going to be in any given time, then I can't tell you where to attack. You need to be able to see the space and, as I say, kick, run or pass that ball into that space based on what the defence is doing. And I've never met a coach yet that can exactly tell any player where the defence is going to be in any given time. Um, so therefore the education was all around identifying space and moving the ball into that space as opposed to a 2-4-2 structure that all that allowed people to do was have members in space to be able to capitalise on the space when it arose and uh, the year two we got better we got into another Heineken Cup semi-final down in Toulon um, it was you know it was tougher we, we got two drawn two French teams in the Heineken Cup in France anyone will tell you that's as tough as it gets and we were very close both times. We lost the first one, I think, by six, the next one by eight. And we got into the um, Pro 12 semi-final against Glasgow, um, up in Glasgow. And uh, we scored a try that wasn't awarded, um, and we missed a conversion. We lost by one point. So I think there were some really positive things happening around the group at the time. Uh, Simon, myself, Cozzy, and, and Axel were working with that group. Um, you know, but it wasn't plain sailing, and uh, and of course, as you're saying, you know, the media had a really, I, I guess, for some reason, and I, and I and I think it was primarily because we were shifting to a game that Munster traditionally had never endeavoured to play before. Um, there was some resentment, not only amongst the media, but also people that were ex-Munster players that had a voice in the media, and um, you know, one or two of the supporters. Uh, but, you know, if you look back and you look at purely on results form and purely the growth of the individuals, the path they were on, I firmly believe, was was the right one. Um, and, you know, with a, with a bit more time and some strategic recruitment, I think that, um, that that Munster could have, you know... I mean, they're still having relative success. Um, uh, but I think, you know, there was an opportunity missed and I'll... I do have a group around it. So, what's the next opportunity for uh, for you? You're contracted until 2019. After that, is it home or back to the Northern Hemisphere? Um, look, I'm, I'm really happy here. As I said, there's some challenges here. The team I took over had never been in, the, I think, the highest I'd placed was 11th. So, first two years we made 8th, last year we're 5th. I think we'll be 
will be challenged to get any higher than that, but there's a lot of passion around our team and the management are really supportive. And uh, the young blokes that, are, that, are, that I've got here um, are excited about what they're doing and are improving. And, you know, we've never had a, before I arrived, we, and, and uh, Bruce Edwards, who, who's had a bit of coaching with the um, Sharks and Devon and a bit of experience with the South African team, him and I philosophically are, are really totally aligned on the, the type of game. Um, so he's, him and I are the only two foreigners in our group. And, um, the, the, the young blokes that are coming to us now in terms of recruitment, they see the style we want to play and I really think it's a, a style that the Japanese um, I guess the, the nature of the physical elements that the Japanese possess are a style that we're playing and, it, and it's an element of the 2 4 it's an element of one three three one. but again it's about educating people to find space and, and um we're improving in that area and the boys are really excited and that, that's inspiring for me. They want to learn, they want to get better and, um, you know, we've got time here to to get the nurturing done and, and the, you know, the seeds that we set four years ago um, uh, are starting to germinate, as I say, and it's and it's exciting. So I don't, I don't know how much longer I'll be here, but hopefully a bit longer and um, it will cross the next bridge down the, further down the track, but I'm very happy and happy here and and trying to help Japanese rugby as much as I can. Rob Penny, thank you very much. Pleasure. Cheers, Rob. There was some interesting stuff from Rob there. Yeah, yeah, I, li- I like that. Uh, I like that chat there. He, he opened up on a few things, didn't he? Um, a few of it actually was not in my head long to as he was chatting there about, uh, you know, maybe the 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 experienced players that retired that he was left with then maybe to some of the squad players and he couldn't do it with so he, he was judged a little bit harshly during his time there but uh, it is good to see his perspective on things isn't it mm. it is interesting when he, like he was talking about the media and the fans the environment there was a lot of things perhaps not ready for what he was trying to do and maybe even not seeing it I know that when when the Pat Lamb stuff um, when Pat Lamb was doing what he was doing with mm. Connacht the expansive style oh this is working this is great well, he lost a bunch of games at the start. Yeah, yeah. Whereas that was l- much harder for Penny in the Munster environment. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll look back at it a little more kindly because two Heineken Cup semi-finals ain't bad in two years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we were talking earlier on about uh, injuries and player welfare. Uh, Rob Carney um, is injured and you were talking to him, Pat. Yeah, yeah. I was down at uh, Tullow Rug- Rugby Club there and because uh, it was announced Bank of Ireland sponsorship extension with Leinster Rugby. So um had a chat with Rob beside a nice cosy stove and um, getting away from the rain and stuff. But um, yeah, he was in good form again. Rob, Rob's always a gr- great guy to chat to, always very honest and, and open as well. So uh, yeah, it, it's a shame he's shown a bit of form again. Uh, but now with the hamstring injury that kind of plagued him for the last couple of years is back again. So um yeah, had a chat with him about maybe that number 15 jersey for Ireland, which he can still considers to be his. Um, and kind of what you saw what he did last November against New Zealand, rightly so as well. He considers that to be his. But then how does he get back? You know, does he circle a date in the calendar again? And how does he focus on the positive? So we spoke about a few things like that. Uh, listen, if you don't beat around the bush, getting injured is never really a positive. Mm. Um, you know, I suppose... And the only positive that I can take from it is that I've dealt with enough of them over the last two years and you know still been able to you know to hold on to you know, the national jersey and provincial jersey when I was fit. Um, so well, listen, it is difficult. But you know, I'm in the position I am in now and 
just have to try and get back as quickly as I can and find some form. I was up, um, up at Ulster there yesterday, I was talking to Johnny Davis, their strength and conditioning guy, and he was saying that um, he's often having to be a kind of, you have to be a bit of a cheerleader as well and try and pick the lads up when they're, they're down as well. Do, do you have anybody who's good, good like that to try and, you know, give you a kind of kick up the ass or kind of give you some positive words every now and then? And listen, it's, it's tough because you've got such a big environment there. You know, including the academy, we've got 60 odd players, and you know, only a certain amount of coaches and strength conditioning staff. So, um, you know, people do get not selfish at all, but you know, when a player is injured, sometimes you're just you know, you're cast aside into the rehab group and you just mm-hmm. stay there and work away. So, the mental challenges are really. <coughs> know with yourself mm-hmm. you don't have anyone really to pick you up and get going the first you know week 10 days after an injury is always really tough um, mentally well I suppose you pick yourself up and you find your feet and you get back going again mm-hmm. and do you have a, a date in your head already ring fence no, for I don't really I suppose with hamstrings they're, they're, they're tricky ones that you know every time they recover at different rates mm-hmm. and you know what an MRI scan can you know give you different results that maybe you're not necessarily feeling. Yeah. Um, so you take it day by day. You just need to get the strength back on it as quickly as I can and get back running and get some miles on the clock. Yeah. I suppose I was even talking to Robbie there about the options of lads that are coming in, and especially you have the lads like Tyler and Bundy now who are qualified as well. Were you down in the, the Carton House, big group of, group of lads and stuff, and kind of did you see lads like Stockdale who kind of come in who seems like he has all the confidence in the world already was it how was that what was the kind of buzz of that camp when you were yeah, in there certainly different I suppose um, you know, lots of new faces lots of younger guys it was, it was a big a big squad mm-hmm. a lot of players there um, but I suppose it's it's a sign of the times too with you know the residency rule and you know, just more illustration of the, the amount of good quality that's coming through. Mm-hmm. You know, from from some young guys right across all the provinces. I haven't kind of really had a chance to talk to you properly since. I suppose the last time I was talking to you would have been over in Chicago, like when we were all there. You know, at Soldier Field and stuff like that, and the comeback you had and stuff like that. Well, is it looking back and stuff like that? How great must that have felt to kind of tell I can still do this on a, on a, on a big scale as well? Like, and as a boost for your confidence, how big was that? Um, yeah, I suppose it's a, it's a difficult one, that because you know, I suppose my perception that I can still do it is very still strong in my mm. own head. Yeah. Um, so maybe amongst you know some elements of the media and supporters, they might still question that. But you know, in, in my own head, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> it was something that certainly I knew I was still more than capable of doing. Yeah, uh, it was just nice to <clears throat> to be able to showcase it on the big stage. We're quick sometimes. Yeah, as you said, the media to write guys off, and there's always a new young talent to come along as well. But um, even recently talking to someone like Tommy Bow, who's a guy who. Andrew Trimble or somebody's a guy you often seem to retire like you know once somebody hits the other side of 30 it's like um, you've got a few years left and we're probably guilty of that as well is it frustrating in a way like that you kind of have guys who seem to be pushing you towards the exit door as well Uh, yeah it is but listen I think it's it's the culture that that, that we're in Mm -hmm. Um, you know if you've got a, a player who's been around a long time I think people can sometimes um, not get a little bit sick of it, but they want to see the new faces and a bit of youth coming through. And mm-hmm. um, when you hit the other side of 30, uh, you know you're probably seen as 
as a player who's you know going on the way out as opposed to coming up through the ranks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get away with it in, in your early twenties. The people are calling for you to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was I was on the good side of it back ten years ago. So yeah. I suppose you've got to take the other side of it now too. That was Pat McKay interviewing Rob Carney. We wish him all the best. Right now, up next, we've got your Twitter questions and tips for the weekends will be on the way. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. You're listening to the Hard Yards Rugby Podcast on Sports Joe. Thanks for listening today. We have Haley O'Connor here in studio. Back. Back. And our producer, Joe Harrington, is also here. Hello, Jensen. Hello, Haley. <laughs> how, how are you? Good. Yeah, yeah well, you're in great form because you've uh, just nudged ahead that little bit more. After last week's picks, you got four right, and Mr. Pat McCarry got three right. So <laughs> I'm keeping the scoreboard ticking over. Yeah, we are. Keep, we actually are keeping score here at the moment. Andy has 21 picks right this season, and Pat has 17. So it's yeah, yeah, sweet it's, it's And I'm annoyed I because I I I did actually think that the Jesus were going to beat Leinster. I had a psychic premonition about it, and yeah. then I was away on holidays and I forgot about it. And they were seven to two. Yeah, <laughs> and the two. Yeah. Yeah, that was that that was that was that was a huge upset. Actually, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was actually a really good game to watch. I mean, the first, the first half, and then into the second half, you're going, "Oh God, this is a car crash." As in, from the Leinster point mm, of view. Yeah. Um, and then they were coming back in, and then the last five or ten minutes, you're going, "They're going for a double bonus point losing because they got the losing bonus yeah. point, and they'd have got one for scoring four tries." Like it was, that was a huge few minutes, and then of course there was the intercept try. But it's a pretty it a rubbish crowd again. Um, yeah. Pity. They got a really good crowd for the game against Zebra. A lot of sponsored tickets, and that went the difference. And you'd wonder now, would they look at that for the next game? It's gone over and say, lads, get the local industries involved, get bums on seats. Yeah, you need bums on seats. Yeah, absolutely. You, you definitely need that to it. Um, we'll just go through this weekend's games. Um, a few duds maybe, but we'll start with a game that should be decent: Scarlets and Connacht Haley. Um, that's in Wales. Yeah, um, the Scarlets are 14 to 1 on. Um, Connacht, I suppose Kieran Keane really wants to change the narrative there. He's lost um, three of the last four, but they've actually, Connacht have never beaten Scarlets. Uh, at the, at, like at Scarlets. So um, you can back Scarlets minus 15 at 10 to 11. Okay, um, Pat, or not Pat Lamb, Kieran Keane says there's a big performance just around the corner with this Connacht team. Pat, you just rolled your eyes there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't no, think so? No, there isn't. No, I, I watched them against Cardiff last week and they're pretty poor. Like, I, I don't really bash Kieran Keane too much because it's still early days and he arrived pretty late as well, but they look pretty dreadful at the moment. So uh, I'm going to go for Scarlets on that one. Okay, and Andy? I'll go with Mr. Keane, but. Yeah, to finish within 15. Okay, okay, yeah. exactly. Uh, okay, the next game, um, we'll go around the Irish uh, games first. Munster and Cardiff Blues at the moment? Yeah, um, Munster, I suppose, they're looking to to uh, bounce back. Um, and they do have the, the Lions trio returning of O'Mahony, Stander and, and Conor Murray. So it could be um, an industri- interesting one. Um, and Cardiff has, have also lost their coach. So for that reason, um, Munster are 1-8, to eight, Cardiff Blues are 5-1. to one, And uh, the handicap is minus 13. It's just a pity that all the double-digit handicaps are kind of working out because it means the competition is remaining kind of uncompetitive, even though, like, Treviso and Cheetahs have won. But yeah. Mm. Guys, what do you think, Munster? Uh, yeah, I'm on the monster side of this. They got absolutely mullered last week, and uh, I could see them really wanting to go to town on someone. What yeah. went wrong last week, actually? What went right? <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> That's a better question. Pat? 
Um, yeah, oh, firmly on the Munster side on that one. Um, yeah. yeah, firmly. Um, okay, firmly. Leinster at home to Edinburgh. That's um, it's leaning pretty heavily towards <laughs> Leinster, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Um, so I think Edinburgh. I think they only scored eight points against Scarlets, and even though uh, Leinster lost by nineteen points uh, last weekend, you can back them um, minus twenty and for oh. this match. So oh. thirty-three to one on. It's a bit of a non-event. I hate these giant spreads. There's a lot of randomness to them. Like that's a, uh, I'll twenty. I'll jump off the cliff first here and go go Leinster in that one because. I'm, just, I'm going big teams this week. I'm going with the bankers, and I'm going with them winning big as well. So, Andy. and then five lines back for for those for Lancer as well. So. Yeah, yeah. I, why am I selling yeah, it to I, you? Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> Edinburgh did me that favour earlier on in the season, so I've, I've lost faith in them. Yeah, I, sorry, Pat. I have to go with Lancer as well on this. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not buying. Uh, Ulster away to Zebrae this weekend. How's it looking with Labrooks? Um, Zebra are six to one, and Ulster um, are one to twelve. You can back them minus uh, sixteen points, but they um, they they have their confidence boosted a little bit, maybe. Mm. What, what do you think? Um, Zebra have been yeah bright enough. I'm 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 happy going with Zebra. I'm gonna I'm gonna be rolling with some of the Italian sides on this um, until I really get a kick in a couple of weeks in a row. I think okay. they both started well, so I'm happy to go with Zebra. I like that phrase rolling with the Italian side <laughs> so uh, cool I'm going to go Ulster I'm going to go with them this isn't going to be this is the toughest one of them all but yeah, um, yeah I'm going to go Ulster in this one um, and hope it works out um, let's jump around the other games really quickly Cheetahs and Ospreys that's in South Africa uh, Cheetahs are uh, actually this is the first time I think Cheetahs have been favourites um, in the competition they're 4 to 11 you can back them minus 7 uh, a 10 to 11 and uh, Ospreys who lost to, to be or 11 to 5 Okay, Andy you first here yeah firstly well done Treviso great mm. result two wins in a row that is great for the Pro 14 yeah. um, Cheetahs Cheetahs okay what, uh, what's the, the difference here in points 7 minus 7 Cheetahs minus 7 oh alright well yeah I'll go I was thinking of going for the Ospreys to win anyway so I'll go Ospreys there oh okay. right so 11 to 5 uh, yeah. right um, next game is Glasgow and Treviso. Um, who are you just raving about? Yeah, Glasgow, who, who beat Monster uh, last week, are 1 to 66. And uh, Treviso are 16 to 1. Somebody just backed Treviso, so like. Be By back. accident, I <laughs> What the, Is there a handicap on that one? Uh, no, there isn't a handicap at the moment. Well, hold I, I will look when, when I looked at the website last night I found a handicap oh go on 26 points okay so are we happy to go with that as a as a table yeah right there you go 26 points to Glasgow and I am going into the review side of this even though Glasgow hockeyed monster I'm going on the Treviso side. You just love rolling with those Italians don't you? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who were Treviso playing last week? Uh, They weren't in South Africa or anything were they? They were Brain crap. Ospreys, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, Treviso, Taco, with Glasgow. Yeah, yeah. We, we just mentioned it. Oh yeah, um, it's minus twenty six is gigantic. Um, yeah, but do you remember, do you remember the, do you remember the monster match just last week? She did bad, bad things to monster. Um, I'm, I'm really trying to talk you into the Glasgow's out of this with Treviso on this one. Damn. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Treviso on that one because it's minus twenty six is is just huge. 
Great stuff. Um, you can actually back all the Irish teams to win, Haley, can't you? That's you can, yeah. You uh, can back them, uh, all the Irish provinces, to win this weekend, and you can have nine to one. But that's yeah. mainly because of Connacht, isn't it? Who are, I think, seven to one to beat the Scarlet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've one game left Dragons and Kings. Not even pricing it up at the moment. Yeah. I'll t- no, I'll tell you why. Because everybody else has a spread of, of minus 21, and we think there's going to be a, a 30 point at least differential on it so, so why don't you stick up a 30 because no one's going to go with us on that if they can if they can get them minus 21 okay hmm. oh, so what what are we going to do on the table are we ta- are we doing a 21 or are we doing a 30 if you're saying it's 30 <laughs> we'll do a 30 King, who's the home team dragons are at home so they're favourites so what what Eddie's saying is that if if there were t- if you were going to the head Ladbrokes had to price it right yeah. now you'd be putting up 30 mm-hmm. okay so let's go with 30 for this table okay um, all right, so if we're going with 30, I'll go with Dragons on that one. 30 points. Oh, wait. Oh, fuck, I've said it now. I can't not go with the Kings. I cannot not go with the Kings. Okay. I've absolutely dug myself in a hole. And they're, night. yeah, they're they're bad, but... I think I'd bet on it being the worst game of rugby this year. Uh, maybe, but that, maybe that's a bit harsh. Can we get us? Can we get Pat to do a minute by minute? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so guys, I'll um, draw probably. Looking forward to seeing if Pat can close the gap. Uh, Haley, thanks so much. No problem. And um, up next, we have Twitter questions with Rod. The hard yards brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. Okay, it's time for your Twitter questions now. People have been using the hashtag AskTHY on Twitter this week and here are the best ones. First one from the Black and Red, who's had a couple, I think, so far. Um, can the lads discuss tactics adopted to reduce bans? So, oh. scenario, you've been cited or your player's been cited. How do you get that little line in it that says this has been reduced to X weeks? Right, we've all, you know, is it... What goes on in those situations? Have you any idea, Raj? Um, yeah, I have been. I, I have been in those meetings. I was um, cited and suspended. Missed the European Cup game in, in Tolman Park for for um, not being able to control my ratty temperament <laughs> in, in one away game <laughs> in Edinburgh. So, um, what the 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 listener would like to find out what goes on in the hearing how do you get it reduced almost like you know come come well dressed all that type of stuff yeah entry point is X weeks and then we knock a couple of weeks off because he wore a nice suit he was no because obviously um, (laughs) sorry yeah as you said there's um, in in the um, potential suspensions or time friend or as you know there are a range as you have explained um so basically your previous history is obviously taken into account and uh, your explanation on the day is taken into account how you deliver uh, what you say I think is important on mm. the day and the evidence in front of the of the jury is, is important because um, the camera doesn't lie mm. you know what I mean I think we're all um, frustrated with, with um, different emotions at different stages of, of a season and depending on that what the image presents um, you need to be really really good at um, getting yourself out of it um, but the, the reality is that you have to explain why you did it and so what did you do did you just go and listen hands up I got ratty yeah and I, and I lashed out I kicked oh, I kicked but I said I wanted to trip him yeah so a kick is very different to a trip absolutely 
um, and the range of, of weeks is, is different as well. Yeah. So, um, and this is, and to be very clear to listeners, if you go in and you look up what these entry points are, it's very, very specific. These sanctions are different and the entry points for each are different. So you're almost getting into like rugby law and a lawyerly approach to these things. Yeah, and there would be lawyers, would you? Yeah. There would be, all the provinces would have different people they use and then, uh, you know what I mean, if it's a national player, a national case, um, Arupa would have a, a representative, really good legal representative. And um, yeah, it is obviously um, an important um hearing because the player is obviously disappointed and then he has to face time out of the game for something that he he can control Hmm. but as we know in the heat of battle it's very very difficult to control but um, along with injuries suspensions are are, are very very uh, and yellow cards and red cards are hugely important in the modern game how you manage these and hopefully stay away from them yeah, well, one of the one of the things they do as well is just reach out to the player. If you've injured another player, reach out to them because you've seen Pape did that with Heaslip a few years back when he need him in the back. It was just like send him a message on Twitter. Sorry about that. Hope you're okay. Or oh, the PR side, and that's a sign of as well. Like I've reached out to the player. I've I've given him a call. I've left him a voice message as well. That apparently goes in your favour as well. Just in case we're ever banned again, Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready again. Right, just walking away from the stands, <laughs> tweeting as he goes. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Have the tweets pre-prepared. Yeah. Um, okay. I think that gives us a bit of an insight there. Okay. Uh, question two. Um, this is from Rob Hanrahan. Uh, with Sean O'Brien speaking out, we touched on that last week. Um, have the lads ever had to take matters in your own hands? We asked James about that. We might ask Raj now. And how would Raj handle that as a coach? So you're unhappy with something to do with the way that you know, training's going the structure of it the plan how do you handle that as a player did you ever um yeah we, we had pl- plenty of meetings like that yeah. over uh, plenty of different seasons and campaigns uh, I think um, it's it's part of the, a part of the game and I think there's always constant reassessment between senior players and management and I think um, it's really important how it's handled and it has to be kept in-house in terms of um, driving your performance and your culture and your values in your in your team. And I think um, there was massive disagreements between even players and, and coaches and players and players mm. at different episodes. I've seen it all, I think. But the most important thing is that is this for the better of the individual or what's best for the team? If it's what's best for the team, then an open forum discussion is invaluable. If it's an individual who is um, delusional and has a kind of lost sense of perspective in terms of he still thinks he's as, as a effective as, as he was five years ago when the reality is his performances are dwindling, yet that person or player has not seen that, I think that's when it becomes... Um, um, detrimental and you need strong senior players and strong management So you're on the, the other side of the fence now, do you have players come to you and say look this isn't working whatever, you know I, I, as, as, as someone in that coaching group Yeah, yeah, yeah It's. Um, and what do, you, what do you want to hear and see when a player does that? You want to hear the truth Yeah. That's all you ask for, if you can get the truth you can find a solution Yeah. If you're getting nodding dogs in the classroom <laughs> it's not what you want. Yeah. So I think that's 
what's crucial is the capacity to be able to read the person as opposed to the player. So you got to poke the buttons to get the the person happy or interested, and then kind of work on the player side of things because the player will be the player will be easy to manage. It's the person that you need to find first. All right, thanks very much. Uh, use the hashtag #AskTHY on Twitter if you want to ask a question next week. So that's it. Thanks to Raj, Fez, Pat, the two Robs, and Haley O'Connor. Emma Carroll was on sound. And before we go, a special thanks to our series producer, Joe Harrington. He has played a huge role in putting the hard jars together right from the very start. Joe is leaving for a new adventure, and this is his final show. Joe, you'll be missed from us all here. Goodbye and good luck. Um, we'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud, and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. This has been The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport. It's gone to the short side. Oh, it's not gone to the short side. It's gone to the trailer. And Tony Murray. I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score!